You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Alrighty, so we are in this Family Values series, and uh, the question we're wrestling with is, why is family hard? Why is our nuclear family hard? Why does our family go nuclear? Um, why is our church family sometimes hard? Why is, why is community at large, why is that sometimes hard? And, um, and this, this series, this, you know, it's kind of a rubber meets the road kind of series. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning in ways I didn't anticipate before yesterday. Um, but we started this series looking at the prodigal son and, and we usually talk about this series and we focus in on the prodigal and how he goes away and, and serves alongside pigs and, and all that. Like the focus is on the, on the younger son, but we asked you to consider what's it like for you to watch conflict within your family? Like, what does that feel like? And, and how, do you, how, how can you journey through that? How can God bring resurrection to that situation. And then last week we looked at uh, Mary and Martha and we asked you to consider that that really short piece of period that just it's just minutes long, right? This interaction between Martha and Jesus and her and her sister Mary. But but there's so much to talk about there and we've and we've all been there where we're like, "Lord, won't you tell her to help me?" Right? And we asked you to really look at that story through the lens of Martha to go, what is this like to wrestle with this and, and want something to be different? And, and, and how do I go about this in a redemptive way? And again, how can we experience resurrection within our families and within our stories? Well, this week we have a much bigger story. It's going to span decades, uh, at least 15 years. And it's probably a tougher conversation. And it's a story of Jonathan and Saul and David. And we're going to ask you to, to take on the lens of what does it look like? What does it feel like? What's it like to be Jonathan? As you watch your dad live his life out. And, and kind of the chaos that ensues. Samuel anoints Saul when Saul, I don't, I don't know what, I don't remember his age. Uh, I think he was 30. And he, and he reigns for 42 years. But we're going to pick up the story 27 years later when David is anointed. And so that should be our first slide. Little David is anointed. Did we get it up there? There we are. Um, so Sam anoints David and says, you will be king. Now, the will be is 15 years from now. I don't, I don't know if he gave David the timeline. Probably, probably didn't. Um, but the story is going to cover 15 years and I just want you to like hang on to that because that's going to be important for us to understand this story emotionally. 
why is Saul being replaced as king? I'd call Saul a king with curb appeal. Uh, you know, uh, Michael just moved into his home yesterday. I'm sure he looked, yeah, yay. <laughs> I'm sure he looked at more than one home that looked great from the curb. And then he walked through the doors and he's like, no, not going into there, right? Saul had king curb appeal, but he had a, a number of problems. First of all, his relationship with God was minimal at best. Minimal best. And he, I would say he struggled with the imposter syndrome. We're going to find that throughout Saul's life, the spear is something that's significant. It's, it's amazing how many times it shows up in his story. We'll talk about during footnotes, the spear was not the tool that he should have been using according to his, his bloodline. We'll talk about that. But so God says, I'm going to replace Saul as king. I'm going to replace him with David. And so David is anointed. And, and David and Jonathan seem to be introduced at, in the next scene in 1 Samuel 17, when, when David confronts and defeats Goliath. Now Saul was supposed to defeat or confront Goliath, but his spear wasn't nearly as big as Goliath's spear. And I think that might have had a play in why he didn't confront Goliath. And it probably wasn't lost on Saul that David ends up with that spear and, oh yeah, I don't have the biggest spear anymore. All right? And so David and Jonathan, they, they create this covenant. They are, they are instant best friends. And we come to the next scene where David and, and Saul are entering back into the city. And we're told that uh, the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David became angry. Apparently he said some unchoice things, according to the cartoonist <laughs> named Logan. Um, Saul became very angry. And he, said, and he says this, now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul recognizes David as a foe. And so in the next scene, Saul hurls the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. And then in our next scene in 1 Samuel 19, so that was uh, 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 19, Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all of his servants to put David to death. And again, we're talking years here. We're not talking minutes. It's at least months and probably years in between these scenes. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul's father and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you. 
and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he will not be put to death. This is a vow that Saul will make and break over and over and over again. But because he made this vow, Jonathan brought David to Saul. And then later in 1 Samuel 19, we see David go back to war with the Philistines and he defeated them with a great slaughter and apparently he piled them up and played king of the mountain like you do. And I don't know if they sang the song again or, or if Saul just remembered it. It was just, it, it was like a, it was a memory that Saul couldn't get rid of. And so in the next scene, Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. And we see a pattern start to emerge where Saul leans on the spear, depends on a spear. David, when he faced Goliath, he depended on the strength of the Lord, right? The Saul depends on the spear. It's almost like Linus with the blanket. You know what I'm talking about. And then in 1 Samuel 20, uh, David flees Saul and Jonathan comes to him and said, and David says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? And Jonathan isn't buying it. And again, this is years, not, not hours, not minutes, at least months. There's big gaps in time between these events. But he says, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And so David tells Jonathan, well, then go find out. Go talk to your father and find out. And in the next scene, Jonathan confronts his father. And he says, why should he, why should David be put to death? What has he done? Dad, why are you acting like this? This does not make sense. Dad, What's going on here? Can you picture this from Jonathan's perspective? How confusing this must have been? How crazy this must have been? And because Jonathan says that, the very next verse, Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. The spear that was the protector, the spear that was to protect me from dangers of the world has turned on my own son. This protective measure, this thing that I adopted to protect myself from the crazy outside world is now aimed at my own children. 
What does that have to feel like? For Jonathan, what's it like to live in that home? What's it like to be a Jonathan to watch that loved one do things that are like you're hurting yourself or you're hurting me and I, and I don't understand why? See, this has become a maladaptive coping mechanism, which are behaviors that make us feel better in the short term, but in the long term, they can be very harmful. And on a continuum, they, they usually start small, but some could end big. And sometimes they don't really harm anybody else. And, and maybe don't even really harm me initially, like chewing my you know, fingernails. But sometimes they could be really harmful to either just myself or to myself and others. They include things like self-harm, substance abuse, shoplifting, risk-taking, negative self-talk, driving fast in a car. I saw that one and I wanted to erase it, um, but I didn't. Uh, chewing on your fingernails, eating too much or too little, smoking, chewing tobacco, yelling at your spouse. I, that, I've done that. I've been that person. Yelling at a friend, I've been that person. Avoiding friends, becoming aggressive or violent. For Saul, it shows up in the spear. For Saul, it shows up in the spear. What's that like for a Jonathan to watch those things take place in the home. For Jonathan to watch those things take place between two friends or, or, or within the church or just within our neighborhood. I want to take a look at one verse today, though. Um, even though I've been reading many to you, Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved. Why was he grieved? Was he grieved because his dad just tried to kill him? It says he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. See, I think Jonathan has adopted his own maladaptive coping mechanism where he can't fully recognize what's going on right in front of him when it comes to his dad. I was 40 years old when I came to, to the realization, when I finally said the words out loud that I grew up in an alcoholic home. Though my dad was an AA since I was in my early 20s. It took me 20 years to come to grips with some of my experiences within our home. Watching someone you love choose either self-harm or destructive behavior, it's hard. 
And many times we'll, we'll adopt this self-protection mode of not even acknowledging it. What was it like for Jonathan? How about you? What's that experience been for you? Because I know as a staff, we talked about this. We know a number of the stories, probably not all of them. There's too many stories. They're hard for their own reasons. And yet Jonathan, I think, gives us an example of, of some things to do. Like he is trying to balance loving the Lord, loving David, always protecting David. Like I think he's, he does a great job of making sure that David is safe, that the vulnerable is safe. And as a church, we, we have to do that. Churches fail at that sometimes. And then trying to honor his father as well. In the next scene, we'll take a look at how 1 Samuel 23. It says that Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Jonathan went to encourage him in the Lord. What an awesome picture. He says, you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows this also. This is a man, a godly man. This is a godly response. This is a courageous step to honor God first and to love his friend. But he also loved his dad. He also loved his dad. We're told in, in 1 Samuel 31, in the next scene that we'll take a look at, these Philistines are standing upright, um, that the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and, and that it was there that Jonathan died. Jonathan died standing shoulder to shoulder with his father, still willing to serve him, I think always hopeful, like we don't get this part of the story, like it's not written down, but he stays as connected to his father as he can. And he stays always hopeful. He's, he's journeying with his dad, I think. Like we see his character, so we, and, he, and as far as it depended on him, he was going to journey with his father and be, whenever his father was ready to, to make that, Redemptive next step, he was willing to go there with his dad. Jonathan does well. Jonathan does well. So a couple implications this morning. Uh, one, watching someone close adopt harmful coping skills can be painful. God sees, seeks to restore them. You could only do your part, though. And, and, and that's the wrestle, right? What is my part? What is my part as dad? What is that my part as best friend? What is my part as son? What is my part as husband? What is my part as wife? What is my part as mom? What is my part as sister? That, that's the wrestle. 
And so we need community around us to figure that out and how to live that out well. And sometimes we have to go and get some expertise. I, I've gone to some friends a number of times and said, hey, we're dealing with this situation. What do you recommend? You have the training, you have the background, you've got the years of experience. How do we do this well? But we could only do our part. Are we going to be like Jonathan who stays consistent? He stays connected. Stays hopeful. The second implication of this, we all have collected a variety of coping skills. All of us. We, we've all got them. Some of them are really redemptive. Some we need to work on. Some we just need to throw away. We've all collected a variety of coping skills. As God seeks to restore you, he leads you to develop the healthiest coping responses. Now, some, some positive coping skills when we're dealing with stress, anxiety, whatever, uh, listening to music, playing with a, with a pet, an animal, laughing, crying, going out with a friend, uh, taking a bath or shower, writing, painting, doing something else creative, uh, praying, going to church, playing golf, unless you play golf like me, and then you just do a lot of swearing, so don't do that. <laughs> Gardening, um, practicing deep breathing. My wife is really, she's focusing on this one right now, the focusing on deep breathing that's really helping her. Uh, making, following through with an action plan, seeking counseling, seeking support, going to a support group. And when you become aware of the maladaptive coping skills, you'll, you'll have tough choices to make. There's, you know, becoming aware of, like Saul becoming aware, oh wait, I've always depended on the spear. Well, I'm going to just lay the spear down, but, but that's not... That's not an easy choice to make because what if people attack me, right? What if people don't respect my leadership? What if, what if, what if, what, you know, like the choice choosing, like choosing to continue down the addiction, we know that's hard, but most, well, most people don't understand is choosing to try to figure out how to walk away from that addiction a path that they've never traveled before. We don't understand how hard that is. That's not an easy decision. Let's not make it simple because it's not. It will take every ounce of courage and hope and faith that a person can muster to just take one step. And then the next one after that will take maybe more. And we have to be ready to journey with them and, and, and find out what that looks like. Sober recovery, I don't know what percentage of, of the crowd that I've been around in sober recovery uh, that fit this mold, but it was probably more significant than you'd guess 
People were coming to celebrate recovery so that they would know how they could journey with their husband or their, that's not there yet, or their son who's not there yet, or their best friend who's not there yet. They, they go because they don't know what the journey looks like themselves. Like, how do I even know if it's a good journey that they're on if I don't find out myself? And so they, they invest their lives in and then they find out that they've got some of their own maladaptive coping skills and like, oh, I need this too. It's a common story in recovery. It's a beautiful story. And there's rarely a quick fix and both the souls of the world and the Jonathans of the world need to know that. So some next steps. Number one, invest in God-given communities that will journey with you towards wholeness. There's a number of communities I could talk about, and I will here in just a second, but let me say this. I recently went back to counseling. And one of the things I found out is that, I, that I've binged eat for, for 40 years. My counselor at one point says, hey, do you think you might have an eating disorder? And I did the quick math in my head, and I'm like, yeah, it all adds up. Yes, I have an eating disorder. I, I'm tall, so I hide it well. I wear shirts that don't you know, lean into to tell too much of a story. But especially Thursday nights when my work week is done, and I'm, and, and I'm just, I'm done with all the things I had to do for the church world. Man, I, and I didn't know. For 40 years, I didn't know. There are other things that I knew about that I've gone to counseling for, for a purpose, for a reason. Um... And you know what? Uh, yesterday revealed that I need to have some more conversations. I responded to a dear friend of mine yesterday like he wasn't a friend at all. And uh, it took me most of the day yesterday and part of this morning to even have an inkling of what to talk about and what the whys are. Um, really had very little to do with my friend, had a lot to do with some memories that I don't even know how to talk about them. Um, but it hurt my friend. And that's the important part. And, and so I'm going to invest in God-given communities. We, we have professional people that that can lead us through, whether it's, whether it's an addiction, whether it's counseling, whether it's a nutritionist, whether it's a doctor, they know how to help you move beyond those coping skills that you've leaned on that used to help and now they, all they do is hurt. And then there's the recovery community. Um, we got some people that want to start recovery in our new, 
new building, and, and uh, I'm excited for that possibility. I think that's a fantastic idea. People that have already been down that path, they already know what the landscape looks like. They know what the journey looks like. They know how to journey with you because they've been there. And it's a community, so it's not dependent on just one person getting it right all the time. And then church community. We need connection with God and with each other. And the thing that my maladaptive coping skills wants me to do the most is, is run. But I need you. And we need each other. So that's why we have our care groups. That's why we have life transforming groups. We need spiritual connection. We need support. We need connection with our God. So invest in God-given communities that will journey with you because you, they can't do your part for you, but they could journey with you into wholeness. Part of God's solution. And then number two, be a Jonathan. Stay true to God, stay consistent, and stay connected. Jonathan was true to God. He was more concerned about God's will than his own benefit. He's like, I'm going to serve next to you, David. This is God's plan. I'm going to live out God's plan. I will serve next to you. I will be under your authority because God's plan is better than my plan. Jonathan was consistent. He was true to God. But he was also consistent. He lived his life the same way when his dad didn't. His dad was inconsistent. He would make promises and then he would throw them away. Make promises and then throw them away. Make promises and throw them away. And, it, and, it, and his actions, like, I got to believe that Saul must have been a decent guy when he wasn't chucking spears at you because Jonathan loved him. And we've, we've been there too. We, we've, we've seen our friend that was amazing until... And stay connected. Jonathan stayed connected to his friend David, but he also stayed connected to his dad, as connected as he could be whenever he felt safe to be there. He stayed connected. And was willing to go on that journey with, with him, with his dad, was willing to ask tough questions. But even Jonathan's need to be willing to look at our own maladaptive, our own harmful coping mechanisms and address those honestly. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, 
You can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.